You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. <clears throat> Ryan is way bigger on screen than in real life, all right? He really is a good friend of mine. I love your church, and the number one reason why is because of Ryan. He and I are buds. We get together regularly. We talk. We pray. We encourage. We go eat. I love that guy. You got a real deal there. Now, I've been a lead pastor prior to the last two years for 25 years. And so I may work for CFR right now, which is a ministry, but I'm more of a pastor than I am a banker. And so there's two segments of what we're going to do today in our short time that we have together. The first one is, I'm just going to call it what it is, a little bit of a commercial about CFR, about three minutes, and then we're going to get into the really good stuff, the Bible, all right? And so give me a little patience here. So CFR, Christian Financial Resources, it's an honor to be able to partner with you to do projects like what we're doing. Every time I come onto this campus, you got something new going on, something new is added. It's really exciting to see the vision and the plan of what is going around, and so CFR has about a billion dollars in assets under management, B, billion. And we have churches all across the United States, we're in in all 50 states, working with with churches that are Bible-believing churches. A lot of banks will not lend to churches. That's a scary thing to do. It can be a relational nightmare. There's not a single bank anywhere that wants to foreclose on a church. It's a relational nightmare, right? Well, we are a ministry. And so what I love about North Valley is very clear as Ryan, who, by the way, I know a lot of pastors across the United States. I'm sad to say not very many of them when they do missions trips or their church does a missions trip, do those lead guys go. It really says a lot that Ryan's there and trust an abozo like me to come up and cover for him, right? And so it says a lot about him. But uh, it's clear that you are an externally focused church. Poland, Ukraine, Mexico, and there's other things that you're doing. I've heard Ryan talk about it. Always thinking about how to sacrifice to serve others like Jesus says. So CFR, Christian Financial Resources. We're not, you may be thinking, oh, great. Here's another ministry Ryan wants us to support. No, 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 no. We're not a ministry that you give to. We're not a ministry you give your money to. We're a ministry you grow your money through. So when you put money in CFR, we take that and invest it into churches all across the United States that pay an interest rate on those loans that's more competitive than most secular banks. So we're helping the church. And at the same time, those interest rates pay you back on the contracted investment that you have with CFR. So you grow your money through CFR. Here's a quick example. I personally believe every Christian should have a savings account, three months, six months of savings for a rainy day, an emergency type fund. Now here's the deal. Most people, if you have that, you're storing it. It's accessible to you. Bank of America, Wells Fargo, uh, Chase, right on down the line. And they are paying you right now 0.01%. Did you hear that? 0.01% interest. Somebody walked out and said they were in the finance world first service and they said, Trent, my bank pays a little higher, 0.04%. And so that same savings account, accessible, you connect it to your checking account, you just create one with CFR and we'll pay you 1%. That's way more than 0.01%. We take that money and it's invested into the kingdom. 
Secular banks take your money and they invest it into the secular world. And to thank you for your money, they say, here's a couple pennies. Look at your quarter statement. So I want to push you hard on that one. Set up a savings account. No fees, no penalties. You withdraw and deposit online. Unlimited. You'll never, there's no fees for any. In fact, all of our accounts, there's no fees, there's no penalties, you know, for you to use it in a regular way. So keep that in mind. There's also time certificates. There's people are switching over their 401ks, putting it into an IRA with CFR. I can help you with all of that. Uh, we have a giving fund. If you give more than $10,000 annually to charities like your local church and others, you can save huge tax benefits if you set up what is called a donor advised fund or a giving fund. I can explain that to you out at the table if you have questions. Some of you in here, I promise you, I'm more of a pastor background than a banker background. Don't be, don't be afraid to come ask me questions. If you want to learn anything finances, I'll share with you just some of the things that I'm learning and growing in and get you connected. Be a learner. Don't be afraid to talk. Get that savings account set up. Look at your time certificates. There's some other cool things that we offer as well. I would love to have you take a packet so I don't have to take them home. I live out in Fountain Hills. I live here in the valley. It's great to come over to the North Valley. So enough of that, all right? Stand with me. Let's start a word of prayer. That'll be our cold break, ready to get into the message. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this group of people. Jesus, you're right here amongst us. And I'm excited to be able to learn and grow together in our time together right now. So God, help us to uh, ignore the smell of the burgers outside. (laughs) Help us to relax, open our minds and hearts to you. And God, may we learn something today that when we walk out of here in a few moments, we're actually better than we were when we arrived. That's our goal today, to honor you, Jesus. Speak through me. May everything I say be a blessing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. So listen to this paragraph, tune in. I'm gonna start with this paragraph and I'm gonna end with this paragraph. You are at this very moment in the biggest war you will ever wage in your life, this very moment. You are fighting for what you'll one day become. There are forces clashing for influence in your heart right now, in your soul, in your mind, in your strength. Forces clashing to own your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, And... You may not recognize that right now, but you'll be able to look back a year from now and you're going to see what you've become. Let me read that without pause. You're in this very moment, the biggest war you will ever wage in your life. You're fighting for what you'll one day become. There are forces clashing for your influence in your heart, soul, mind, and strength that you might not recognize until you're able to look back on a year from now and see what you've become. I'm encouraged that you're here. I mean, it's Sunday. It's March Madness. There's some other things you could have been doing this morning, right? And you chose to get up, get ready, show up for church, go through the hassle, the traffic, get here, park, get your kids checked in. It says you're a learner. That's what a disciple is. Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples of people. Disciple simply means learner. You're here. And I think you continue that kind of commitment especially with the leadership team this church has, and you guys dig into the scriptures together, you'll look back a year from now and go, a little bit better, just a little bit better. And so I want to talk about that process. I call it the six phases of faith that no matter what you're in right now, I promise you, in fact, let me just ask a raise of hands. How many of you are dealing with some kind of stress, some kind of a battle, something in your life right now that's got you frustrated? Raise your hand. Let's be honest with each other. If you didn't raise your hand, we're going to dogpile you now and get you to cuss and get you in trouble so we can get you where we're at. 
Six phases of faith. See, the Bible says, there's a, there's a passage in Proverbs 29, 18. Without vision, people perish. So my purpose today in sharing the six phases of faith, that I can see the patterns throughout all of Scripture. You can find the stories of Saul and King David and the Apostle Paul or Jesus' life. We're going to use an example today of Moses and the Exodus out of Egypt. You've heard the stories maybe, and, and if you haven't, and, and don't be ashamed. I meet people regularly now who have come up from a younger generation that have never gotten into the Bible, met somebody not that long ago, never heard of David and Goliath. So maybe you've not heard of the story of the burning bush and the parting of the Red Sea and the 10 plagues. I'm going to give an overview of that today, but I would encourage you to open up one of the greatest movie books of all, the book of Exodus. It reads like a movie. There's so much movie material in there, and we're going to cover it today in the six phases. And the goal without vision, give you a little vision or a goal right now or a dream to accomplish, to determine where am I in a frustrating situation in my life or where am I at in life? Which one of these six phases? Because if you can determine where you're at, you'll know what's coming next. There's nothing better than if you have to go into war to know what the next step is gonna be and to have a plan, all right? So let's go through that. It starts with phase one. Everything starts and all of these six phases start with a D word, all right? It all starts with a dream. I have a dream, we've heard. That's a good communicator. Knows how to grab our attentions. We all love a good dream. Maybe instead of a dream, use the word goal. This could relate to your physical fitness right now. It could relate to your marriage. It could relate to your bank accounts. It could relate to a house you want to buy. These six phases can be into any part of your life to help you determine how to keep moving forward in faith with Jesus. So it all starts with the dream. In Exodus chapter three, Moses has left Egypt where he went as, as a child. If you know the story, he was pulled out of the river and was cared for, grew up as a child in, in Egypt as basically one of Pharaoh's own, if you will. Well, he ends up getting in trouble and he has to flee. Moses actually kills a man. You have to go read out of Exodus to get all these details. He flees into the desert for his own life where he kind of wanders and becomes a shepherd for 40 years. So I could take you through the six phases of faith just in that story. But basically, we're going to start this story with the dream. Moses is out in the wilderness taking care of his sheep, and he sees off in the distance a burning bush. And he says to himself, it's not being distinguished. It's not burning up, distinguished. It's uh, disting distinguished. It's not burning up. And so he walks over to it, and the voice of God comes out of it and says, Moses, you are standing on holy ground. Remove your sandals. Can you imagine that moment? Go for next time for a walk in the desert and just say, okay, God, show up. Show me a burning bush. It'd make you have a heart attack, would it not? You hear his voice. Cool moment for Moses. Scary moment. And he says to Moses, uh, here's what we're going to do. I'm talking to the guy who's running the screen in the back. I'm not going to read through the verses, but when you know the timing's right, put them on the screen, and I'm going to give a shortened version because I'm a typical preacher. I have a tendency to want to go long. It's not that I want to. It's just preachers go long. And so read the verses as, you, as the guy in the back wants to control them and put them up there, and I'm not going to get into the full details. That made it sound bad. Wants to control me. He has to. Are you following me? I'm just going to get out of my notes and preach this, and he's going to try to keep up with this crazy guy. Fair enough? Phase one, it all starts with the dream. Moses sees the burning bush. God says this, you are to go to Pharaoh. 
and you're going to tell him because I have heard the cries of the Israelites. Now, there are millions of people called Israelites in Egypt right now. You got to read through Genesis to figure out how they got there. We don't have time today. They basically become slaves, and we're talking millions of them. It's arguable that there's somewhere between 3 to 15 million Israelites in Egypt at this time. And the slavery has gotten bad. They're the ones, in my opinion, I could be proven wrong here. I'm not going to argue with you about it. That you see the great pyramids and you see how Egypt was built. It was built up the backs of slavery of the Israelites, the Jewish people of that day. And so basically, they cry out because they're being just tortured, worked to death. And God hears their cries. So he meets Moses and he says, Moses, I'm giving you a dream. I'm giving you a goal. Phase one. Go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Now, here's the deal. It'd be pretty easy in our life, I think, although scary, if God just showed up and gave you a goal and he, you physically heard him say, Joshua, you must go do this. You'd be like, yes, sir. That's not gonna happen to a lot of us. You may be in the word of God, and hear God's voice. You may feel it in your heart. You may feel a prompting, a whisper of how God leads and guides you. It can be different for each and every one of us. And here's the deal. How do you know if it's God speaking or if it's the pizza you had last night? You follow me? Is it just a gut feeling or is that the pizza? Well, maybe you measure it this way. It's a litmus test. God's will for your life will never go against God's word. God's will will never go against God's word. I guarantee it. If you're hearing the voice of God telling you to do something and you can't back it up with scripture, it's not the voice of God, it's the pizza. Worst case, it's the devil trying to lead you astray. So you have a dream, a God-given dream. If it's from God, it literally is going to be something legit that's going to test you and lead you through the following six phases we're going to cover. Moses knew this calling, this dream was legit because here's what he said, and we find it in Exodus 4.13. It makes me laugh. He says, after hearing the vision, the dream, please, Lord, send someone else. That's a God-given dream where you're like, this is too big. This is scary. This is going to require sacrifice. This is a God-given dream. Please, Lord, send someone else. And so it, it takes us to phase two. It all starts with a dream, a goal. What is it? What is it in your life? Do you have goals in front of you, something you can achieve? Well, step number two, dream is dream, is, is decision. I'm messing this up. Step number two is to make a decision. Moses and Aaron and went to Pharaoh and they said, this is what God says. Moses, go to Pharaoh, tell them to let my people go. Moses and Aaron obey and they make a decision. So here's the deal. If you have a goal or a dream, it could be physical fitness, it could be your marriage, it could be a new job or it could be starting a new business, it could be going into the mission field, the calling into ministry, the unlimited number of options in your life. Sooner or later, you've got to make a decision. The, de the word decision comes from a phrase that means to cut away. When you make a decision to do something, you're also making decisions not to do something. 
And it's hard sometimes to make these decisions. How do I know if I should make a decision to pursue this goal or this goal? Because decisions, when it comes to good versus evil, are easy. They're supposed to be. Should I do this or should I not do this? We're supposed to choose holiness. The hardest decisions to make in the world are good decisions versus good decisions. It's good for me to do this and it's good for me to do this. I can't do both. I've got to cut away, decide which one I want to do. How do you decide that? I think it's best sometimes measured through who is whispering it in your ear. Who are you listening to? Who's guiding you? How is that determined? Don't mistake, don't make the same mistake that Saul The story of King David and Jonathan. Uh, Again, if you haven't read that, go look it up in the Old Testament. Another great movie. Listen to the mistake Saul made out of 1 Samuel 15, 24. It's not going to be on the screen. Saul admitted to Samuel. Saul was king at the time. He said, yes, Samuel, I have sinned. I have disobeyed the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people, and I did what they demanded instead. Don't be a people pleaser. I, I have a temptation to be a people pleaser a lot. I don't like to... Uh, create conflict. I'll take it on if it comes at me. I don't like to create conflict and that can make me a people pleaser. And it would be very tempting for me often if a large crowd tried to convince me to do something, it'd be very easy for me, very tempting to give in. Don't make the mistake of Saul. Go to the Lord, make your decisions with the Lord. Surround yourself with a good counsel of people. Uh, Proverbs eleven fourteen. this was part of the phase one, it says this, where there is no guidance, a people fall. You will fall without guidance. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. So you should have a counselor of the word of God. You should ask the counsel of your pastor, your pastoral team, so they can help you with a biblical perspective. You should surround yourself with friends who love you enough to tell you you're stupid when you're being stupid. And you not get, can I, say, I think Ryan uses words like this, and you not get butt hurt. If that's something Ryan doesn't say, forgive me. I'll check with Ryan later. (laughs) Don't be offended. Somebody who truly loves you is going to tell you you're being stupid when I'm being stupid. Right? Do you have a good counsel of people to make wise decisions, to know what to cut away, and to know what to decide to pursue? So here's the deal. When it comes to decisions, there's something else. Most of our decisions when it's to accomplish something good, especially when it's a dream and we have to decide to pursue it, you are choosing a pain, whether you choose this or that. Here's the difference. When you make a decision to pursue a dream, you have two options. You're going to pursue the pain of discipline or you're going to choose the pain of consequences. Let me relate this to uh, physical fitness. If you choose to say, I am going to begin to work out every day, you're choosing the pain every day of discipline. And you know what I mean? When that happens, you start working out and you're like, you can't even do the stairs the next day because your, your muscles have been shredded. But if you choose not to pursue the pain of discipline, what you are, it's not like you're not choosing to do that. You're just choosing to pay the pain of consequences where we begin to get out of shape, where our arteries begin to clog up. Where, we're, where our knees hurt a little bit more. So every day and every choice, we choose discipline or we choose consequences. Which one are you cutting away when it comes to the decisions to pursue some dreams that you have in your life? So let me say this about decision-making too. 
I found when I led, when I say my own church, it's Jesus's church. Ryan doesn't call this church his church. If, if he says my church, you know what he means. But when I led the church that I led, every time myself and the leadership team, we made decisions to advance our church forward, to produce fruit, to reach people who were lost, to, to try to grow for Jesus in biblical knowledge and, and fruit, we always first, we made those tough decisions, we always first went backwards, working out. You start to work out and say, I want to become fit. You first have to tear down the muscles. If you want a rose bush, you decide, I want this rose bush to grow beautiful next season. What do you first have to do to it? You have to prune it, right? Same thing with church growth. Same thing in your life. When you make a decision to pursue something that's going to be good in your life, make you a better person, it will first take you backwards. And here's what I mean, phase three. You have a dream. And you have made a decision to pursue it. It's often in that time we will say to ourselves, especially as Americans, I have a dream. I have made a decision to do it. I believe it's going to honor God. Where's my results? I want them yesterday. We're so impatient in this culture. You know how impatient we've become? When you're watching something on Facebook, one of those videos, and a, and a stinking commercial pops up four seconds long. And you're like, oh my gosh, four seconds we have become so impatient. When you make a decision to do something that's going to build character in your life, there will always be phase three, delays. So Moses goes to Pharaoh with Aaron, and he says to Pharaoh right to his face, the Lord has spoken. We have made a decision. We are telling you, let our people go. We're headed out. We're leaving you, Pharaoh. Moses, you would assume, I think Moses immediately thought, and it kind of backs it up, look what happens because Pharaoh didn't let him go. Pharaoh got ticked. And Pharaoh said, oh, you guys must not have enough to do that you're here whining. So here's what you're going to do. Not only are you going to produce the daily quota of bricks to build my kingdom, you also now have to go get straw as you build those bricks and still meet your quota. Previously, Egypt provided the straw. So they doubled their workload. And when they didn't get it done, they took a beating. They literally were beat. The people, the slaves, the Israelites went to Moses and said, you have ruined our life. What is wrong with you? Who do you think you are to speak on behalf of God and say, we must leave here? We are now dying because of you. And Moses goes to God and he says, here's Exodus, Exodus 5, 22 and 23. Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? I told you I didn't want to go, right? And for since, I came, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. That's a pretty ticked off Moses. He's talking to the one who created the sun and the moon and the stars. It would have been just a, Moses would have been gone. Moses is ticked. It talks about the friendship. When you're ticked, when you're having problems, God's not threatened when you go out in the backyard and the neighbors think you're crazy and you're like, what are you thinking, God? This is not what I planned in my life. You promised me delivery, which is phase six. It's coming. But there's some things you got to go through first. There will always be delays. If God is the creator of steel, and he's the creator of gold, and he's the creator of diamonds. 
He's also the creator of you. I'll add one more. He's the creator of grapes. What do grapes have to go through in order to become wine? First, they got to be crushed, right? What does steel have to go through to become a beautiful, usable weapon and sword? Goes through the smelter, get fired up. Somebody's got to pound on it, and then they got to grind it down, and then they got to dip it into the cold water. That steel is being tortured. What does gold have to go through in order to become more pure and more valuable? It's got to be melted down. Those impurities got to be burnt out. What is a diamond that's sitting in the case that you will buy and pay astronomical numbers to keep her happy? To say, I do, I want you, you are worth it. It's got to go through all kinds of pressure, cutting, sanding. It goes through torture. And for you to become the kind of person that God wants you to become, do you believe if that's what he'll do to objects? You're his masterpiece. You're his prized possession. He wants you to be just like his son. So... Do you think God is more concerned about promoting your comfort? Or is God more concerned about promoting your character? Is God more concerned about giving you comfort? Or is God more concerned about developing and growing your character? James 1, I believe it's James 1, it says, consider pure joy. It might be 4-1. Consider pure joy. When you go through many trials and troubles, and you go, is James a madman? Consider it pure joy when I go through trouble? When my life is falling apart in front of me? When nothing seems to make sense? Consider it pure joy? James, were you on drugs when you wrote this? Or did he really know what he was talking about? That God is willing to put you in the fire and to bring delays into your life. So what do you do then if you can be, and I begin to understand why God does delays, what do we do in a delay then? Well, Isaiah 55, 8 says, and it'll be on the screen, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So you're going to have to trust God when nothing makes sense. You're going to have to dive into your council of advisors your small group studies, people that you trust, the few good friends that you have that are willing to tell you you're stupid when you're stupid. You're going to have to dig into the word of God and you're going to have to go, okay, I'm going to really lean in on your promises. I'm going to really lean in, God, that this goal and this dream is making me a better person. I want to quit right now in the middle of these delays. I need your help. I don't understand what, your God, what you are doing, God, but God says to us, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways, God says. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Just because a path is straight doesn't mean it's not hilly. My old Kansas accent about came out of me. Healy. Hilly. Right? Delays. What's your delay that you're facing right now? What you need to do is be still, trust God, and be faithful. And it's often at this phase that we think the pain of delays has prepared us. Come on, God. You're making me a better person. You're making me a better man. It's time. Well, you and I do not get to decide when the time of the delay in the refiner's fire is done shaping us into the sword and the diamond or the wine or the 
Whatever, right? That's up to God. So here's the deal. Take full comfort in knowing this. Right where you're at, even if you're a mess right now, even if you've got sin that's overwhelming you and you seem to be practicing it, God loves you just the way you are and he loves you right where you are, where you are. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. He wants to get you out of the cesspool of sin. He wants to clean you up. And those of you that think you're doing really well, God thinks you can be better. And he is willing to work you over because he cares more about your character than your comfort. So you've gone through the delays and you're thinking, okay, we're here. Pharaoh's made it hard. God says, go back to Pharaoh. Go back to him and tell him, let my people go. So he does. Moses does. He does everything the Lord asks him to do. And Moses obviously, I think, is like, okay, here we go. Israelites, we're out of here. Well, comes the fourth phase, D word, difficulty. Starts with the dream. You make a decision. You're going to have delays. And when you think the delays are bad, it gets worse. Aren't you encouraged today? Aren't you encouraged today? Difficulty. The difficulty phase in this story of Moses and the great exodus are the 10 plagues. We're talking 10 events that decimated the entire land of Egypt, killed people. Here's the 10 plagues that God brought, the order of them. The plague of blood, then frogs, then gnats, then flies, then livestock were killed, boils all over your body, hailstorms that killed you immediately, locusts destroy everything on the land, darkness fell upon you completely, complete darkness, imagine. And eventually, the firstborn of every person that was not obedient to God was killed. God did that. You know, the Bible says the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. So many people are like, oh, he's so good and he's so kind. Yes, he is. The Bible, Jesus is the one who says, come to me, who you carry heavy burdens, I'll give you rest. I'm a gentle and a kind teacher, Matthew 11 says. But sometimes when we deal with God, and God knows that he might lose us anyway because of our sin, if he's going to lose you anyway, he's willing to break you down big time to maybe get you to hit rock, hit rock bottom. Because often as human nature and our flesh in us lives, until we hit rock bottom, we never look up and ask for help. I don't know too many people that grow when things are rocking and rolling and everything's going great. But most people, when they're going through a form of hell on earth, man, they're open. I hate doing wedding. weddings. Everybody just wants to drink and have sex. And dance. And those are all, I guess it's fine. I want to do a funeral. I love doing funerals. Because everybody shows up with an open heart. They're broken. They're, they're like, help me. Give me something that'll make me a better person. A funeral is really a special thing. When we go through difficulty, that's when we're most susceptible to growing and becoming more like God. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you're taking notes, when you get into this phase of difficulty, you've got to trust the Lord above all else. Is if you don't, you will begin to exchange a truth from a lie. I forgot to do this passage in the first service, so share it with them later. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 32. Don't have time to keep it on the screens. I would just encourage you to read it. When you begin to give in to difficulty and let it crush you, you are beginning to change, exchange the truth and start following lies. And when you do that, there is nothing more clear than Romans 1, 21 through 23. It says these people 
exchanged truth for a lie. So God turned them over to the darkness of their minds. And they began to do all kinds of wickedness um, to, to each other and, and all around the world. Difficulty has a chance to absolutely break you. But if you, through difficulty, can make some sacrifices in your life. What's cool, this is a whole nother message and a whole nother time, is those 10 plagues, the difficulty that God allowed to happen to the Israelites and also to the Egyptians, God was attacking There's 10 gods, specifically in this instance, that the Egyptians idolized and worshipped. They were the gods of blood, the gods of frogs, the god of gnats, flies, livestock, boils, hail. It's a cool sermon to go through each one and to compare what God was doing. God was coming in and saying, I am going to kill your idols. You will not get out of the difficulty phase in your entire life. You can take difficulty to your grave if you continually refuse to kill the idols in your life. What's an idol? An idol is something that you put more hope and faith and joy in than in the Lord Jesus Christ, his shed blood and his resurrection from the grave. When you put your faith and your hope in Jesus, it doesn't matter what comes, good or bad. You don't allow your emotions to fluctuate based on your circumstances. You just keep stepping up every day, moving forward, going, let's go, Lord. Keep making me a better person. I want to be used by you. Sacrifice every idol I have in my life. My only hope is you. And it's in those points, when you know you have idols, you'll use phrases a lot that say, I really need... And you fill in the blank. You want to improve your marriage? Stop needing your spouse and want them instead. It's very different. Stop needing, you fill in the blank. It's one thing to need, that's an idol. It's one thing to want, that's a desire that can be used to honor the Lord. So it's in this difficulty phrase, we often are like, what do I do, what do I do? And we'll pray and we'll pray and we'll pray, God, what should I do? And in difficulties, you'll, you'll, you'll say, God, I need to pray. What house should I buy? God, I need to pray. What spouse should I marry? God, I need to pray. Who should I date? God, I need to pray. Should I buy this car or that car? I don't mean this in a negative, cold way. God doesn't care. He just wants to know that in your difficult life, when you're making incredible decisions through those phases, that whatever house you buy, use it to serve the Lord. Whatever bank account you choose to have, use it to serve the Lord. Whatever person you choose to marry or date or whatever it is, you keep asking God for this clear answer that he's probably not going to give because he wants you to make decisions and learn how to cut away and make the tough choices in your life. Some things we pray about, we're wasting our, our breath. I know the Bible says pray about all things. Don't hear me wrong. But pray, 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 pray without ever making an action is a nightmare. It's a dream never being accomplished. So go to the Lord in this difficulty phase and sacrifice your idols. And in that last of the 10 plagues, as we transition out of difficulty to what is next, what we think is deliverance, but not quite yet, it still gets worse, the commercial says. God has to kill all the firstborn of all of Egypt. Cool little side note here. God says to the Israelites, in the middle of this difficulty and the decimation of Egypt with the 10 plagues, I want you to take as families an innocent, unblemished, beautiful lamb. You're going to place your hands on it and you're going to kill it. And you're going to roast it and you're going to eat it that evening in your house. And I want you to take the blood of that lamb and I want you to put it on your doorposts. For those who are not faithful to me tonight and who ignore what I say, 
I am sending death across the entire land of Egypt. And death is going to go and it's going to see the blood on the doorposts and it's going to pass over. And everybody who does not have blood on the doorposts, they will lose their firstborn of their livestock and of their family right on down the line. And it says that evening, imagine being an Israelite family, the quietness through the land. Imagine your family huddled in the living room and you hear death go. You kind of hear the door rattle. You know what I love about that story? When God uses death to kill the firstborn, he doesn't show up to every house, knock the door and say, I want to check out who's inside here. I want to know. I want to make sure you're in the right condition. I want to make sure what kind of person you are. He didn't look at what kind of person you are. He just looked for the blood of the lamb. You hear that? He's just looking for the blood of the lamb. So many of you are so stuck thinking, I got to be perfect. Well, keep pursuing perfect. Keep pursuing being obedient. You get so hard on yourself and you think you've got to just start checking boxes because there's some kind of activity that's going to win you the love of God. He loved you way before you were born. He loved you after you screwed up miserably. He loves you. Nothing can separate you from God's love. He loves you so much, though. He's going to challenge you. He's going to break you down like a wine, like gold, like steel, like a diamond, because he knows what you can become. God looks for the blood of the lamb. He knows you can't be perfect. So difficulty. It gets so bad that all the firstborn are killed. Pharaoh gets up and he sees his son, who's supposed to be the next Pharaoh, is dead. And he cries. There's a cry that goes throughout the land. And all the Israelites show up and they, or all the Egyptians come out of their houses. And Pharaoh's, get out of here. Moses like, let's go. And the Israelites begin marching out. And the Egyptians are so grateful to get rid. I mean, imagine the 10 plagues you just went through. They're so glad to get rid of them that they're ripping off their gold jewelry and they're taking their golden idols and they're giving them. And Egypt is left. They've been plundered. They were so glad to get rid of the Israelites that they gave them all of their money and their gold. They had all kinds of wealth to take with them into the journey of the promised land. Because that was the dream, right? Let my people go. Your dream, Moses, is to get to the promised land. So here they are. You have the absolute difficulty. And finally, they're free. They're walking out. Phase six, we're not there yet. Phase five, they think they've been delivered. There's one more step, and we can cover this quickly. They hit a dead end. Starts with a dream. You make a decision to pursue it. I promise you, you're going to face delays, difficulties, and dead ends. These are the parts that are terrifying as you're pursuing your goal. It's a part where you have the white towel of surrender, and you're ready to throw it in and quit and go back to the slavery you used to be in. And here's where they arrive. They show up. They're marching. Here's a millions of them. They're marching and they come to the location. It's in the Bible. It's the location called Baal Zephon. So the Red Sea's in front of them. Mountain range here, mountain range here. Guess who's coming behind to kill them all or take some back to be slaves? Pharaoh changed his mind again. It says 600 plus chariots are marching. They can feel the ground shake. And they begin to cry out to Moses, why did you bring us out here? We are at a dead end. There's nowhere for them to go. Red Sea in front, mountains on both sides, Egyptians behind. Baal Zephon is the name. If you look up the original language, Baal Zephon, it's cool, is translated God's cul-de-sac, literally. It's God's cul-de-sac. Cul-de-sac is a dead end. And here's the cool part. They freak out. Moses falls to his face and he begins to do something that God shames him for. 
he begins to pray to God. It says in that passage, Moses falls on his face and begins to cry out to God. God shows up and and says, Moses, why are you crying out to me? And we don't get any other detail than that. It's like, man, is God just cold? Is God just mean sometimes? No. God knows and you know. You made a decision to cut some things away in your life. You made a decision to go to the promised land. Get up, Moses. Stop crying out. Do what I asked you to do and what you've already decided to do. Moses gets up and he puts a foot, he advances forward and holds up his staff. (laughs) Miraculous. The Red Sea parts and they're able to cross on dry land. They march across, they get to the other side. God says, Moses, drop your hands. They turn around. The Egyptians have come. It says God has caused their wheels to get loose and they start crisscrossing through. They stumble, they're collapsing and then the waves come crashing in. Can you imagine the pressure? The waves immediately penetrate into the lungs, decimate all of the Egyptians. And it says they have been delivered, there's phase six, on the other side of the Red Sea. And as they turn around and look, they see the Egyptian dead bodies on the shore. I imagine there's a moment of silence. Maybe hear some babies crying. They're like, what just happened? And then it says, Miriam, Moses' sister, grabs a tambourine and goes all Pentecostal. And there's a war cry of deliverance. Huge cheering that takes place. They have been delivered. Exodus 15.1 has the song they sing. We have triumphed victoriously. The horse and the rider have been taken out by the sea. They've been delivered. Everything starts with a dream. You make a decision. You're going to go through difficulties. You're going to go through delays, difficulties. Dead ends are going to try to kill you. And if you'll push through in faithfulness with God, with your counsel of advisors, God will deliver. But here's the deal. It's at that point you've been delivered. You have lived a crazy life through the six phases. Now it's very tempting to go to God and say, okay, God, I'm complete. I know I'm just 51. Thank you for these past 10 years of some crazy things I could tell you about. We don't have time. You've you've made me a better man. Stop, please. I don't want to be any sharper as a sword. I don't want to be brighter as a diamond. I don't want to be more pure gold. I'll just take a cheap wine. I don't need a fine, fine wine. You know how we get to whining. And so here they go. They've now been delivered. Now what? Remember when I said earlier, without vision, people perish? Now they're at the end of the Red Sea. But God said, no, now I give you a new dream. Go settle in the land of the promised land. So they're on the edge of the Red Sea and they're headed to the edge of Jericho where the beginning of the promised land is. You know how many days walk it's supposed to be? Let's do this first. Any uh, Bible trivia people? How much time did they wander in the desert? 40 years. It's a 12-day walk from the edge of the Red Sea to the beginning of Jericho. 12 days. They spent 40 years. Why? Because every time they kept hitting delays, difficulties, and dead ends, they wouldn't submit faithfully to God. They wouldn't kill their idols. So God just detoured them. If you're not delivered, you're getting detoured. And you can go to the end of your life being detoured, 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 detoured. And so here's this crazy 40 years God has to kill off some idols. There's some people that refuse to change. Just happens to be the older generation. Come up, man, we're closing off here. Just an older generation. He had to let them die off. 
before they could go into the promised land. They go through the six phases of faith through 40 years of wandering in the desert. Go read it and find the six phases. They're there. Then they finally get to Jericho. They've arrived at the promised land. Quickly, they march around. The walls come tumbling down, right? Now they've entered the the promised land. Delivered again. God gives them a new dream. Go settle into the land. You know what the next sentence says? Now there were giants in the land. The six phases of faith are cyclical in your life until your last breath. If you know life is hard and challenging and you know these six phases will repeat even though you get better every time, God's not so interested in your comfort. He wants your character. He wants you to be like his son, Jesus. Complete. We're all a long way from that. So keep getting better. Three big questions I want you to ask every time you go through one of these phases. If you want to be able to push through the phase and get to the next one, answer these three questions with the counsel of advisors, with the word of God, with Jesus in your heart. Here they are. Number one, as you go through the troubles, here's your take home. What am I afraid of? Use a journal to answer this one. This is not time to answer spiders. I'm asking you to go deep. Go deep. What are you afraid of? As you face your delay, as you face your difficulties, as you face your dead ends. What am I afraid of? Secondly, God, I've told you what I'm afraid of. So now what are you trying to teach me? Question two. God, what are you trying to teach me through this kind of a hell on earth that I'm living right now? As I'm at a dead end, I don't know what to do. What are you trying to teach me? Write out your answers. That's going to break you down. It's going to make you kill some idols in your life. And the third one is the most important one, I think. From this point forward, after I've identified what I'm afraid of, after I've identified what God's trying to teach me, what does love require of me? And when you're a dead end sometimes in your job, you're fighting with your spouse, whatever it may be, I hate that last question. What's love require of me? When my wife's mouthing off to me, how do you think I want to behave? But when I pause and ask the question, what does love require of me right now? How I respond in that next moment, that's the magic. It causes me to either find deliverance or to be detoured right back into delays, difficulties, dead ends. Last thing, this will be my closing prayer. I'll read it as I'm getting out of here. I went way too long. You're at this very moment in the biggest war you will ever wage in your life. You're fighting for what you will one day become. There are forces clashing. There are forces clashing for influence in your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength that you might not recognize until you're able to look back on the day you meet Jesus and be told, well done, good and faithful servant. All God's people said, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.